I think the biggest thing that you we are seeing in the market is is this ready suite concept. Before a, a landlord would take a space that was built out, completely demolish it, deliver it as a vanilla shell, and kind of say, you know, here are the four walls, painted white, and you build, and this is your canvas. Today, what landlords are saying is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint the picture for you, and. Yeah, maybe you may not like, you know, one or two offices and we can certainly tweak it, but in general, you'll probably live with it because. Uh... Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, today we have Luciano from CDN Global. This is the man who started this firm. We're super excited to talk about it because it's in commercial. And generally here we talk about residential, but I'm so glad we get to talk about commercial today because there is so much opportunity in real estate on the commercial side. So Luciano, thank you for coming on. Let me pick your brain. Luciano also is involved in a lot of philanthropic volunteer work, which we'll get into today. So if you're thinking about making the jump from residential to commercial, this is an episode you'll want to listen to. Luciano, take us into in your career in commercial what has been the craziest thing that you've seen so far well certainly i was first of all matt thanks for having me and uh what the craziest thing i've seen so far is uh with the pandemic and especially in montreal so montreal quebec canada is where i'm uh, located physically and uh quebec uh, the the province equivalent to uh, to a state uh basically had very strong uh rules and very restrictive rules over you know working in the workplace and so they wanted people to work from home and and sort of stay at home at mandates that were were in place during the pandemic and so the craziest thing that we have seen over the last few years is like this working from home and people uh getting very comfortable working from home and not necessarily wanting to come back to uh to the office uh, environment so uh, that's kind of i would say that's probably the craziest thing we've seen uh so far and that has huge impacts on commercial real estate because one of the things that you do specifically is office leasing and you work with office buildings. And so yes. is it fair to assume that with people not coming back to the office, maybe the value of the office buildings or at least the rents are changing rapidly? Yeah, so we're not seeing it yet in terms of the face rates because some of these buildings have uh, traded at uh, at, uh, at all-time highs. And so I think the, the new landlords are still trying to recover some of that uh, value that they put uh, to those buildings. But uh, what we are seeing is that there is uh, demand for office space under 10,000 square feet. And typically we say 10,000 square feet is for, you know, 50 employees or, or less, because we say the rule of thumb in the business is 150 to 200 square feet per, per employee. So companies that are looking for 10,000 square feet and under, there is demand and they're actually on the street and they're active. They're looking for a flight to quality towards the office space. Uh, where it's becoming a challenge is spaces over 10,000 square feet. Hmm. So the larger companies, they're not necessarily uh, forcing their employees to come back to the office, uh, to, to the office space and having them continue working from home. So that is where we're seeing the availability. So I think if you're a, a large tenant in this marketplace, and I think it's the same in maybe in most major cities across North America, not only in, in, in Montreal and, uh, and in the rest of Canada, but, uh, also in the U.S. is that those larger companies, those larger employer, employers are starting to shed space and are starting to give back this, the, 
their keys to the landlords as their spaces come up, as their leases come up. So it's certainly, I think it'll have an impact, as you say. So essentially, you foresee prices in the large commercial, 10,000 plus square feet dropping. Now, would that be just the rental prices or the value of the buildings as well, since the income is also dropping? Yeah, well, I would say they go they, they hand in hand. And I think there's going to be pressure also on municipalities uh, because uh, the tax as a value of the of the building goes down, then the tax bill goes down. And so the taxes are going to come down. But we on trophy properties in Montreal, so AAA buildings, we haven't seen that yet. Why? Because those those groups that are 10,000 square feet and less who are looking for space, there's actually a flight to quality there. And so they're willing to go to the AAA building because they're going to be taking on less space than what they have today. But, you know, it, it's funny, Matt, yesterday I was doing a search for a client and client, um, actually it was a sub, they're a sub landlord. So they're looking to sublease their space and we were putting together a report for them to give them an idea of who is our competition. So I said, let me do a quick search on our search engines and to see how many 15,000 square foot spaces or more are available at this point in time. So I did a a search of the greater Montreal area and I asked for 15,000 square feet plus and it generated 436 potential sites. So imagine you're someone who's trying to sublease space or someone who's trying to rent space, your competition, there are 435 other competitors out there, mind you, I, I did this, I cast a large net and I said the greater Montreal area, but, um, you know, even if you honed it down and you, you put it down by sector, uh, there was still many, many options available for someone looking for that kind of square footage. So it will have. So now let's say demand drops substantially, then what, what's the owner going to do? Are they going to like turn it into smaller spaces? Do you see them turning into self storage? What sort of, I mean, is there conversions you think that will happen? Uh, a couple of things. Yeah, interesting on the self-storage. We'll talk about that. Um, I think on the office side, what we're seeing is that landlords are, are seeing that there is demand for the under 10,000 square feet. So they're starting to uh, cut up uh, floors and they're cutting up spaces. So that lar- those large contiguous spaces, if they can, and to the extent that they can, they're trying to cut those up. And the, uh, the other thing that they're doing is they're actually starting to furnish that, build them out and furnish them as the typical office space. Why? Because construction costs have gone up, and especially in, in, in Canada, construction costs have gone up, the cost of money has gone up. And so tenants that are in the market are saying, I don't want to spend half a million dollars to renovate my 5,000 square foot space and, and to move into a new space. If it's already done, if it's already built out, and it's amortized in my lease, i rather that than having to go out and, and, uh, and get a $500,000 loan on, on building out a 5,000 square foot space. So that's what we're seeing certainly on the office side is that landlords are getting more creative and they're saying they're, they're having these ready suites is what they're calling them. And uh, several institutional landlords in the Montreal area are, are doing that. And, and I know it's a trend across, uh, across North America for sure. Um, on the self-storage, um, uh, point, Matt. It's interesting because there is very much a demand for self-storage because as condos and as, as living spaces are becoming smaller, people still have junk. They still have their skis and their winter tires and, and, and things that need to be stored. And so that demand for self-storage space close to their 
living, um, you know, close to their living space is becoming is becoming uh, important. And there's a lot of uh, self storage investors uh, right now in this marketplace circling the waters for for uh, the perfect uh, spot. And those bigger commercial buildings kind of are a perfect target because you can get a lot of self storage in there. Well, they are on this class C and B uh, side of the business, but you know, class A, I think is, is much more difficult to convert. And I think at this point in time, the market is still not, uh, you know, it's still pretty, pretty good. One of the top buildings in the city is 1250 Rene Levesque, um, which is in downtown Montreal. They're at a 98% uh, occupancy. Hmm. Uh, so there's no stress there in terms of, you know, seeing it converted. I mean, the other talk on the market is converting some of these buildings to residential. And of course, um, many of the buildings uh, cannot be converted just because of the sheer floor plate sizes and, you know, lack of natural light for a decent apartment. But some others, of course, can be uh, can be considered as uh, to be converted, but to be seen. So, I mean, we're kind of at the beginning signals of maybe some some major shifting, but it sounds like the actual results of the shift haven't really happened yet. Correct. Correct. And uh, I think the biggest thing that you we are seeing in the market is is this ready suite concept. Before a, a landlord would take a space that was built out, completely demolish it, deliver it as a vanilla shell and kind of say, you know, here are the four walls painted white and you build, and this is your canvas. Today, what landlords are saying is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna p- paint the picture for you. And yeah, maybe you may not like, you know, one or two offices and we can certainly tweak it, but in general, you'll probably live with it because uh, you appreciate the fact that uh, your, your, uh, your space, you're providing a space for your employees that's, that's of better quality and that's uh, at a, a reasonable price, and you're not, um, you know, amortizing those costs over uh, over a long period of time, and 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 basically, uh, you know, dishing out the money at the beginning of the lease as a tenant. So, in some senses, I mean, that's really where the market shifted to. I mean, like before, the the owner got away with not having to do anything. Now they have to, and if they're not amortizing those costs, they're just eating it. So, if it's a two hundred thousand dollar build out, they're just they're out that that money. The other thing too, Matt, is that they're becoming more and more like like uh, hotels because, you know, a, a building that doesn't have the proper amenities will not be considered by tenants that are on the street looking for space. So if you don't have a gym with uh, showers and you don't have uh, bike racks and you don't have rolled terry cloth towels ready for for tenants and and uh, conference rooms and uh, you know shoe shine and and you know, daycare and, and what have you, um, that's certainly uh, going to be a strike against you if you're a, if you're a landlord and don't have those services for your tenants. How how bad or how much more do you think this will shift? Oh boy, yeah, good question. I wish I had the crystal ball, but <laughs> I I really was under the impression that things were going to get uh, better before they got worse. Um, I think the big challenge right now is in terms of the state of the economy in both the U.S. and Canada. I think where everyone is kind of saying the R word and uh, no one's um, quite sure uh, if uh, that's a word that can be used because there is still, uh, you know, high employment levels. Um, And so what is the impact on that? I think that, um, 
You know, I always I always laugh because when I think about it, um, we're often asked the question as real estate people, right? But really, it's I'd like to ask the question of a sociologist or even a psychologist, which is human nature. Humans want to be with other humans, and so we pack baseball stadiums and we pack football stadiums, and we you know we can watch we can we know that we can watch a sports game at home and probably get better angles and better feedback than we have in a stadium, but people want to be together and they want to experience things together. And I think that is probably what's going to save, um, you know, the office space and the, and the environment and the, and the work environment as we've known it uh, before pandemic, which is probably a move towards uh, hybrid um, as we've been doing, but not uh, completely getting rid of office space. But I think landlords are going to have to adjust to what tenants want and what their and what their users and the occupiers of spaces want and uh, those are those amenities that i talked about and and having spaces ready to go so i think i think we're going to see more of that and uh, move away from uh, the models that we've been used to in the past everyone who listens to our show knows tim and i are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So when you talk about hybrid, are you talking about like shared space or... Uh, well, when I mean hybrid, I mean uh, hybrid. What I mean is, uh, you know, in a five-day work week, uh, employees are coming in three days a week, and then they're working, you know, two days from uh, from a, from somewhere else, from a remote place, because of course it's not necessarily home. Uh, but I think the need of being together and collaborating and seeing each other's faces, uh, and just talking about last night's baseball game or in Montreal uh, hockey game. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of the, that, that's important because it's, there is something there that's, uh, sometimes hard to measure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you see it, I mean, like there's been a lot of companies, of course, in the U S tech companies that have went remote. Many of them are starting to come back. Yeah. Um, have you started to see a lot of that come back or is it, or have people shifted to a hybrid model? No, no, we have, we have. I think the biggest yeah. challenge right now is anybody that's uh, in the government, uh, in the government sector and the financial sectors have not necessarily come back uh, hmm. to more than three days a week. Although uh, some major banks in Canada have announced that uh, they want to go, you know, back to the office at a, at a, at the majority of the time of the, of uh, the work week, um, 
in the office because I think they're they're realizing that there is an impact and if whether it's production whether it's productivity or just collaboration I mean think of the millions of dollars that companies spend every year to have team building and so you know you spend all this money on team building oh we're gonna have a a, a, a happy hour or we're gonna, you know all of this money that's been spent on team building and yet then you turn around and you say no no actually we're not going to be in one place. We're not going to be under one roof. We're going to work. Everyone's going to work from their kitchen and on the side of their kitchen, you know, in their condo of a 600 square foot condo in the middle of, in the middle of New York, in the middle of, you know, Chicago, Montreal, or what have you. Yeah. So I think I feel bad. Like, I feel bad for people. I'm, I'm in my forties, uh, close closer to 50 than to 40. And I feel bad for somebody coming in like, people coming into the business, people coming into, into the workforce where they've, you know, they've come in during pandemic and they haven't really had that, um, you know, camaraderie that you get in being in a, in a work environment and in a, you know, in a, in an office space, in a traditional office space, let's say. It's so valuable. I mean, you look at startups and self-employed people that start starting small businesses, the failure rates, like over over 90%. And, you know, you can, there's many reasons why a business might fail, but many of which is like a lack of drive, self-starting, the right thoughts, which all come from being alone, generally speaking. Like, and so the failure rate of bigger businesses is much smaller, right? Because they have all those resources. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that we're seeing a movement back towards at least hybrid, if not full. Um, And I really like your points there about, you know, companies are spending money on team building, but then they're sending them away. So but still, like even to your point, as companies come back, a lot of these bigger places still they're probably going to start occupying smaller places. Yeah, there, there certainly. So I think there's going to be there's going to be a shift. I mean, there's going to be a shift. I think in those class C's, those class C buildings, so buildings that uh, were in the past converted from industrial to loft office, will they be reconverted to industrial as the demand for industrial continues? Demand in industrial right, right now, the vacancy rate in Montreal for industrial space is about 1.6%. Wow. And, and I think that's in line with most major cities, again, in, in North America, that demand for industrial space. Um, in Montreal, I think what's, what's unique about Montreal is that we're, we're a port city. And so that distribution and that connection to Europe and that connection to the Great Lakes um, is, is important, right? Um, and, and, and trains and, and what have you, you know, we're, we're literally like, sometimes we forget, but Montreal is 45 minutes north of the U.S. border. So I can drive 45 minutes from my office and I'll be in New York State. And I think we sometimes even as Canadians, we forget that. Um, but there's a market there, obviously, south of us. And so that impact on the industrial market, I think, continues. Uh, will we see a bit of a blip? Um, at uh, from 1.6 to 1.8, will we see it at 2%? Probably, uh, depending on how consumer demand goes. Uh, but it still, I think we may see some of those office loft buildings convert back into industrial and yeah. go for vertical and go for back to vertical, you know, uh, vertical industrial rather than horizontal industrial. That's interesting. So, what do you mean by vertical industrial? So, so in, in, especially in the Montreal area, our, our economy at one point was very much dependent on the needle trade business. 
And so a lot of uh, textile manufacturers were in the Montreal area and uh, making clothing in these uh, five, six-story buildings that had these massive floor plates, 30, 40,000 square foot floor plates where you would have rows and rows of sewing machines and, of course, racks of clothing. And so we, we went vertical at that stage and, you know, at that stage in time. Uh, then in the late 90s and 2000s, those buildings, because uh, textile manufacturing was being done offshore, those buildings were being converted to office loft. And a lot of the tech, a lot of the tech uh, groups were taking those spaces. So now, as those spaces start becoming available again, will they be reconverted back into industrial as the pressure and demand for industrial space uh, continues? I mean, some industrial space right now is growing for somewhere between 15 to $19 a square foot net. That's, you know, some, that's a better deal than, than some office space. So yeah. as a landlord, if you're, a, if you're someone who has a building that was converted to loft and you're thinking of reconverting it, the, the, the numbers are there to make it work if, if you can. Yeah, that's so interesting how, how these markets swing back and forth. So what was the big appeal to you to go into commercial versus, say, residential? Yeah, interesting. So when I, when I graduated from university, I, I jumped right into to a commercial. And I saw it as, you know, being connected to the business world and also uh, allowing me to have a life outside of, outside of my work. Because residential, I mean, I have to hand it to residential brokers. Some of them are on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the nice thing about the corporate and commercial real estate is that we really have a five-day work week, you know, 12, 15 hours a day sometimes, but, but really it's a five-day five work week. And I think for me, it was important to have that balance and that, you know, we always talk about the life-work uh, life balance. And I think for me, it was important because I wanted to be able to give back to the community and get involved in other things besides uh, doing real estate. Speaking of which, I mean, you give back to your university and a number of other things. Like, tell the audience, like, what what things are you passionate about besides real estate? Yeah, sure. So it's 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 it changes it changes and it evolves. So I've been in the business for twenty four years, and when I first started in the business, uh, I was very passionate about helping young entrepreneurs get started in business and teach them about signing a lease and talk to them about sort of. Uh, what it meant to sign a lease, because of course a lease is one of the most, uh, uh, you know, expensive things, one of the biggest commitments you're going to make as a business owner. So I got involved with a group here in Montreal called Youth Employment Services, and they helped Montrealers start businesses or find jobs. And I really, I really liked that because it was, it was something where I can help, you know, young people um, kind of get started and get and get a foot. Um, as time went on, I um, we gave birth to a, a premature child. Uh, mm -hmm. So we have uh, two boys, and our second boy, uh, Lawrence, was born extremely premature. And um, when we were at the hospital, I wanted to find a way to thank the hospital because I felt like you know they did so much to save his life. I mean, he was born at 24 weeks and five days. So, yeah, he was extremely small. He was he basically weighed. He weighed uh, less than a cereal box that you'd find at Costco. Uh, so like a picture of cornflakes box, he would less than that. And he was really a tiny thing, but uh, he was, uh, they were able to keep him alive and he's, uh, he survived. He's 14 years old now. 
but we wanted to find a way to thank the hospital. So we started a fundraiser called Tiny Survivors. And this was for the neonatal unit of the hospital. And over the years, we've raised almost a million dollars now for that cause. It's been over 10 years we've been we've been at it with a few families that have also had uh, premature babies like uh, like ours. So uh, I've done that. I've, I've been on the school board as I used to be a, a school board trustee or here we call them school board commissioner. So um, anything with youth, with education, I've always kind of gravitated around that. Um, and of course, my alma mater, McGill, uh, very proud of it. It's almost uh, 20 years that I've been volunteering at, at McGill. Um, we have a world-renowned uh, university right here in the moments, uh, steps away from my office, actually. And uh, we, we do some great work and with uh, people from all over the world that come to McGill to study. Um, so we're really proud of that. And um, we have uh, William Shatner is one of our alumnus. So uh, we're very proud of that. <laughs> and of course, our current prime minister is also a, uh, is also a McGill alumnus. Amazing. What is your vision for your life and your philanthropy over the next 12 to 18 months? Wow. Great, great question. Um, I would say I'd love to see CDN Global uh, have a presence in Toronto. So CDN Global, I own the Quebec operations. I have partners in Western Canada that actually started the brand um, in Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton. And uh, we have uh, also uh, a group in, in Ottawa that's with us. Um, we'd like to see a Toronto presence. Toronto obviously is an important market in Canada and then an East Coast presence. So, um, you know, Nova Scotia and uh, some of the Atlantic provinces of Canada. So my vision over the next, um, you know, few months is, uh, is certainly growing that and helping grow that with my partners. Uh, and for myself, I think just uh, maintaining, uh, maintaining a healthy lifestyle. I, I think I've, uh, I've struggled over the years of keeping keeping weight uh, off, and uh, sometimes it goes on easier than it goes off. So um, <laughs> one of the things I like to do is just enjoy, uh, we have Mount Royal here in Montreal, which, by the way, has a U.S. connection because um, Mount Royal Park was designed by the same uh, landscape uh, architect that designed Central Park in New York City. So, oh, wow. Uh, so it's a park that I enjoy going to, and it's... Uh, yeah, keeping a healthy lifestyle and seeing my family grow. My my 16-year-old is uh, going to be going to uh, university soon. Hopefully, he chooses the right university. Um, what is the right university? <laughs> McGill, of course. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then and then my and my uh, preemie, uh, my 14-year-old as well. Uh, just uh, seeing him through the teenage years. So these are these are fun years. Hmm. Incredible. Luciano, thank you so much for coming on, sharing about your life and your business, giving us a glimpse of the residential, or excuse me, the commercial market. And that's really, really helpful because I mean, a lot of these people uh, that we talk to are investors. They're, they're looking to get into commercial as they scale up. Um, I think you've given us some pretty good insight and maybe th things to look for, things to avoid. So guys, if you're out there listening, write down something that you learned from today, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 